good evening. Welcome to the Laugh at Monkey Music Show. Taylor and Billy Morris. Billy, how are you? Great. I'm glad, glad to be here. Back. Glad to be here with you. Finally <laughs> making a snapshot. Well, schedules are kind of crazy, but it's good. It's good. And that's the beauty of Zoom. Um, but you're also a very busy man, as we all are. You got, you I got describe it. I describe it like I'm a one-legged man at an ass-kicking convention. That's how busy I am. I've used that one myself. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> initially, I, I met you. Not met you. But I knew you. I learned about you through, through obviously, Jane Lane and Warren. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing a lot of things lately. And we'll talk about a lot of stuff you do that people are are watching or listening. But we should probably just start off early on with where I came across you with Jane Lane and Warren. And you have a history, a whole history. And there's other stuff out there of deeper. You've been doing music your whole life. Your family's done music. There's a whole, we could do like a, a three-part series. You're, you're Lots to talk about. Music. Lots to talk about. The point of getting, to, I want to talk about new stuff with you is what it is. I came across you and Warren. I've loved it. I've loved a lot of clips. And you've also been doing a lot of tributes and keeping keep the word alive and, and celebrating Jeannie, which. Well, that's that's one of the thing that I take pride in is like, you know, I play in a cover band in town and, uh, called Billy Morris and the Sunset Strip, play all the clubs, yeah. and we play 80s rock, and uh, we throw some originals in there. But whenever I play a Warrant song, I always point up and say, rest in peace, Jeannie Lane. I always give him credit. And, um, you know, every I think the guys in Warrant should always recognize him and give him credit at every show because, you know, he was the, he was the talent. He was the songwriter. He was the voice. He was the personality. Yeah. that gave all of us the opportunity to go out and play all the arenas and those guys to be on MTV. And that's why I, I, I still do the Janie Lane tribute shows once every six months or so. And um, I did a great one recently in Cleveland a few months back and I invited Maddie Lane, his daughter. And though there's videos out there, if you search, there Maddie is, I, Lane, saw it. I just saw it. Yeah. yeah. It's good. And it was amazing. And uh, I flew in Bobby Brown. She hosted it with me and it was just like, it was just a fun time and like a great crowd turned out. We, we sang great songs. We talked all about a lot of, uh, a lot of the former people that, you know, you, you go through stages in your life where you have different groups of people. So when I was in Warrant, yeah. you know, I had Chris Bourne was my guitar tech. When the Warrant days for me ended, uh, House of Blues opened up in Cleveland. I recommended him to work House of Blues. He started production manager at House of Blues in Cleveland, went down to Myrtle Beach. Now he's back in Cleveland. And I haven't seen him in years, but he came out for the show, got to grab yeah. the mic, talk, tell a Janie Lane story. And, you know, uh, Bubba Robinson took gunfire for warrants. He was security, big, you know, Bubba, big King Bubba Robinson, black guy. Yeah. And uh, took gunfire. You know, there's certain shows wow. that, you know, you think you're in warrant, you think, oh, things are great, tour bus and everything's great. But, you know, there's been some oddball shows that didn't turn out the way you thought they would. And, and the one did turn out to have gunfire in it. So, gunfire. you know, there's so many stories. So I, and the more I talk about it, the more I think of, of other things. Like uh, one last quick story about the warrant days. And the, many stories. Yeah. one time we were playing in West Virginia. And like, like everybody thinks that it's like all arenas and amphitheaters and, and, and great shows. And there mostly are. But there's a lot of clunkers in there, especially when you're playing like in February, trying to play and make a living well we played at this place in west virginia where it was like a one lane bridge where the tour bus could not go over the bridge so we had to park the tour bus and the guys from the club pulled up in their pickup trucks and we loaded all of our gear in the back of pickup trucks and drove it over the bridge to the club the club was heated by a fireplace now great it was it was fun it, it was like they partied like nobody else but i remember that day vividly because that was the day that dale earnhardt died And I remember us setting up the fireplace going, all the NASCAR stuff on TV. It's like, oh, my God, Dale Earnhardt died. Those are a couple of those moments like, where were you when that happened? And I was in a a club in West Virginia with the fireplace watching that happen. I think, and I talk about sometimes the the struggle that artists do. Because, I mean, people see the the, the buses and this and that's. And that was such a small part of most artists' lives. You know, there's, there's driving between towns. There's, there's an artist you know, stopping for gas money, playing gigs just for gas money and for food to keep the tours going. You know, that's what bands are really about. The, the well, yeah, that are, was that was me. Special. That was me. Yeah. But when I was in Warren, it was always great. It was, we always yeah. had tour buses every summer. If we did any weekend warrior stuff, it was a big 15-passenger brand-new van. Um 
Another story. <laughs> Quick Please. story. So we're playing Harpo's in Detroit. Have you ever been to Harpo's? I have not. No, I've heard about it. It is the biggest. It's an old theater. It's like the biggest nightclub in the Midwest. 5,000 people. We're playing Harpo's. Oh, wow. It is a known fact. You do not go outside. Well, of course, we go outside and there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken across the street. And it was like bulletproof glass with like a little turn roundabout thing to hand the food out or the drugs out. So, uh, but the story is, is I would always help with the merchandise and count the t-shirts and the, and, the, and the money and stuff. And I come out, the 15 passenger van is running with the trailer. We're about to go up from Detroit to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, about a five hour drive when it's normal out. But it was a snowstorm, whiteout blizzard. And I walk out last and there's one seat left. The driver's seat. I'm like, what the, what the, he goes, well, you're from Cleveland. You know how to drive in this shit. We don't know how to drive in this stuff. So I said, all right. I drove up there. Chris Bourne, my guitar tech. We drove up there. Super white out. There was, there was. You drove a tour bus? You drive a tour bus? It wasn't a tour bus. It was like a 15 passenger van. This was like the weekend warriors. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I did drive the tour bus. I'll tell you that in a second. Last story after that. But we ended up going over the Mackinac bridge, which is this giant bridge at the bottom of it. You got to pay a toll. We come to the bottom of it. It's all ice. We're sliding. The van's sliding. The trailer's pushing us. I roll the window, and I'm like, we'll be right back. We, we went through, and I put it reverse, backed up, and paid the toll. That's another one of those stories you'll never forget. We'll be right back. Um, <laughs> what was the last thing that, that you brought up? That we're, it was the last a bus. It was, a tour bus. it was about driving a tour bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Drive so, them. It's always interesting. So, you know, like, when, like if you're on a tour bus on a tour, you have a driver, and the driver drives you to the venue. The the uh van the the driver the for the event drives the tour bus driver to the hotel and he's on an opposite schedule you so he sleeps all day when you're getting ready to leave to go to the next town he gets picked up and gets in the tour bus he's fresh he drives we all right. eat our pizzas or sandwiches play cards do video games whatever we do and we finally fall asleep around two in the morning in our bunks it's it's it, it is a life like no other i really enjoyed it well i would always get up first so I'd get up, I'd walk through the lounge, you know, there's 12 bunks, a door, a lounge, and then the driver. And I, we had a little, little guy named Kenny. So oh, I'm so glad you got up. I got to go. So what would happen would be, I would take the wheel and stand over here. He would get up and go back to the bathroom. I'd sit down and I'd drive this tour bus with the trailer, you know, as straight as I could. And I'm a good driver for, you know, four or five miles while he stretched and went to the bathroom. And then we switched and we did that all the time. And the bad part about that was like, well, Billy knows how to drive the tour bus. So I'd be in my hotel room. Billy, get down there. You have to move the tour bus. I'm like, so I get down there, push. It's not a stick shift or a gear shift. It's push button, put it in reverse, back it up a little bit, moving around and stuff. I could do all that stuff. And it was part of, you know, being on the road with the band. Uh, You know, it's just backing us. Things that were so big. Every time I see a truck or a bus still to this day, I go, that's the worst job ever in traffic. Yeah. And and it's so huge. You know? And that leads to uh, when we talk later on about the food trucks, we have a food truck and an ice cream car that that we tow each other that tows. And I'm the only one that can back it up. Um, so if if there's a job where it involves backing the food truck up with the trailer on the back, I have to go to it because I, I can back. I've, I've towed trailers my whole life, either band equipment or dirt bikes or ice cream trailers. So that's another story there. Being a good driver is a good gig, though, especially driving stick and driving truck nowadays. That's actually a good gig for people because not a lot of people are doing it. Very that is a good ride stick anymore. I can barely drive stick. I, I can ride a stick if I need to. Like if I have to go somewhere. Like if you don't want your car to be in pristine shape, but there's an emergency, I'll get you there. I yeah. get the idea of it. <laughs> you, you you drive by the braille technique. <laughs> I, no, I mean just every now. I, I think I could do okay. Depends. I had I had old Volkswagen Super Beetle, so it's definitely a grind to find an old type of thing. So oh I, yeah, I grind me up. Yeah, I'm not a, not a big fan of it though. So I think that's a good skill to have. Um, but you, you so you came in though. Actually, I mean you put the time in though. In other bands, doing it in clubs and bands, you put your time in. You deserve the time you got with the band. So it's not like you just kind of came into a pristine situation not deserving it. You worked, for people who don't know, years, your whole life before that to get there. Oh, that was, I, was, I thought I was, before I joined Warren, you know, I thought, well, I did a lot of big things with my local bands and my touring bands. And I thought I was done. And then I got a phone call from Janie Lane. But going back to the right out of high school days, I'll tell you a great story. I was in a band, yeah. local band called Spoil, S-P-O-Y-L-D. And we were poison. So our singer went out to LA, came back with the flyer 
a green flyer from poison. He goes, we're going to do this. I'm like, we're going to dress like girls. He's like, absolutely. So we copied poison. We wore the feather boas, the eyeliner, the, the big lips, the puckered photos. We actually opened for poison when they came to town. And, um, we were the biggest thing in town for about a year while, while glam rock was popular. Yeah. Then I left that band and I started a band called Kid Wicked. And it was uh, not the Sebastian Bach Kid Wicked in Canada, the Billy Morris Kid Wicked in America. Uh, with a guy named Mike Zuter, my best friend. He was in a band called Out of the Blue and later on with the Zooters. And we wrote some really wailing double guitar harmony songs with big three-part vocal harmonies. And, and I did all that stuff for a long time. And at... And then grunge hit, okay? And we were opening up for Strutter, the Kiss tribute band, at a, at a club in Cleveland called The Odeon, a big two-level club, big, sold out. And I'm rocking these original songs and playing some Warrant songs because Janie at that time was like, looked up to Janie, was like my friend and playing Uncle Tom's Cabin. And I was good friends with Janie's brother, Rick Oswald, Eric Oswald. He came out and played the intro to Uncle Tom's Cabin, sold out. And then Kiss tribute goes on, it's great. And the agent's there. He's like, you know, I love your band, but I can't book you as an original band. But Billy, you look like Kurt Cobain. So if you put together a Nirvana tribute band, I can book you all over. So we did that for a year or so. I put the sweater on I, and I I did Nirvana. called It was called Teen Spirit. We would play like college towns. It would be the biggest thing all over like the East Coast, all the way down to like, I remember Dothan, Alabama. All these college towns. It was great. But I don't know. I just had enough of putting the sweater on and acting like Kurt Cobain. So that must have been kind of I'm weird though, because you weren't like a style. You were actually trying to be you were, you were emulating a visual of somebody, not just being a type of genre. Dude, that was the funny thing. I'd be like a little different. I looked like Kurt Cobain and had the sweater and the guitar, but when it came to the solos, I was like, I'm not playing these solos, I'm playing my own ripping solos. So you'd see a Nirvana tribute. With a ripping solo, so I would love to see you do a ripping solo in a Melvin Nirvana song. If there's footage, yeah, that's what, that's what I did. Oh. There's there's some uh, uh, digital Super 8 VHS cassettes in my basement somewhere. I'll dig that, that up. Oh, sounds hilarious. But uh, right after that, you know, I was doing the Kid Wicked thing, Kid Wicked thing, da 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 da, and then I got an email from Paul Gilbert and Racer X and Mr. Big were like my favorite band and. My buddy, Mike Zuder, who I started Kid Wicked with, moved out to Las Vegas, met Paul Gilbert. Paul was going to do a tour in Japan and Korea. And uh, he said to Mike, he's like, hey, I need a guitar player that can play this stuff, can sing the high harmonies and has long hair. He's like, I got the guy. What was so, this? What year was this? This was the Flying Dog Tour, 98. Okay. Remember that album he put out, like Flying Dog? Because Paul puts out probably 50 albums in the last 20 years, you know. But it was uh, it was the first solo, uh, the second solo album that Paul did after Racer X. And I think he caught a little flack for it because, you know, when you think of Paul Gilbert Racer X, it's all terrifying, scary guitar solos. Right. This was a big departure from that. He had really liked what my buddy Mike Zuder was doing, like a beatle style, melodic pop rock. And uh, with ripping guitar solos. So... He uh he offered me that gig, so I went to Vegas for two weeks, practiced with Paul Gilbert. Jeff Martin was the drummer. Mike Suter was the bass player. Oh, wow. And uh, we practiced for two weeks, went over to Japan for two weeks, and then Korea for a week. And if you guys want to look at anything, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a CD called Beehive Live. That's the yep. audio CD. And then there's um there's a... Oh, there's you're a, that one? That's a the, you're that one? I've heard that one, yeah. Yeah, there's a DVD called like 11,000 Notes. It's got yeah. Paul talking about the concert and walking up like a mountain in Vegas, I think. And like he'd walk a little bit and talk about stuff and then they'd show another song. But you really got to watch closely because it's it's 99% Paul and then a little shot of me, Paul. little shot of Mike, Paul. little shot of Jeff Martin on the drums, Paul. Which, hey, it's Paul Gilbert fan and... I was really happy to be. That was like, holy cow! I'm, I'm accepted by Paul Gilbert, and I was ripping solos. I remember if you're a guitarist um, for a guitar for no guitar player, hires you on as a guitar player. That's like an extra like bonus. You know what I mean? Like it's you know, yeah. I'm a guitar player in so and so's band. You're like, but he's a guitar player. Yeah, and he hired me as a guitar player. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember him. He was mixing down the live record, and he called me. He's like, dude, you got the best lick on the whole disc. 
And when I heard it, I was like, that is really good. Where did that come from? It was one of those magical moments where you're just in the moment, you're totally kicking yeah. ass. And I played this rip and lick. I've got a couple other old Kid Wicked recordings where like, how the hell did I play that? Well, but when you own your own recording studio and you're just sitting there by yourself taking multiple Play. takes, you can pull those off. Yeah. So, so right after Warren or right after Paul Gilbert, um, I'm at home and I'm in my garage. And this was the days of a landline and answer machine with a little micro cassette. Yeah. And uh, I saw that Janie Lane had called and uh, Janie Lane called me. He's like, hey, Billy, give me a call. I want you to do guitars for Warren. And when he said, I do, do guitars. Do Mm-hmm. I thought, dude, I just got off the road with Paul Gilbert. I didn't call him. I didn't even call him back. I'm not going to do guitars. I'm not going to be a roadie for Warren because I just got off the road with Paul Gilbert. I'm not going to go back to roadieing for Kerry Kelly. You know, how, how, no, but like, how, how were you friends with him prior? You were friends with him prior to get that part. Oh, you, know, you knew him. Like, what well, was the connection prior? I'm, I'm from Cleveland, and he was from a little town called Brimfield outside of Kent, okay. Ohio. And we tough. both, he was a couple of years before me, but we both played the same circuit. He was a circuit, drummer. Okay. Yeah. So we knew each other. He, like he liked me. I liked him. We we knew each other. Then right. he moved. Okay. And, but then he would come home for the holidays, and he would come home for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, and he'd always come see my band. And then he'd take over. We would jam. We would just jam. You know, Sweet Home Chicago and ACDC. He'd play drums. He played guitar. We'd have a good time. And um, even when Warrant first came out, like he was kind of hinting. It's like, man, I I really wish. I had you to play these solos, you know, I really wish that I'm like, ah, dude, maybe someday, whatever. And then it ended up going, you know, they went through their, their guitar players. They, uh, Rick Steyer from kingdom come and then Kerry yeah. Kelly. And then, uh, when he called me and said, I want you to do guitars for Warren. I never called him back about two weeks later. He called me again. And I picked up, hello, Billy, it's Janie. Why didn't you call me back? I'm like, well, I don't know. I just, I just got the road, Paul Gilbert. I'm kind of doing my thing. I don't want to go out on the road as a, as a guitar tech for Warren. He's like, no, 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 dude, I want you to be in the band. I'm like, oh, I'm in. So <laughs> that was that quick. And uh, like a month later, I was on the road with Warren, Rat, and L.A. Guns. 2000. Yeah, that was a, that was a good time. I think it was weird because I think rock was realigning itself. Like Musicians were changing careers. Some were switching. It was like the changing of the guard. I think some yeah. musicians were taking advantage like, like Jamie may have wanted you at different times because I mean it's well documented and I'm not slagging anybody, but the first Warren album, some of the solos weren't even from the band at the time. There was different right. people, so I mean it's not like it's a bad thing. And a lot of those guys, and, and to their power, went and learned and improved themselves to become better musicians for that. I think that's super cool to do that. I do solos. watch the I do watch the Warren videos and and Joey and Eric pop those solos even. Right. And, but if, if you really studied her, you knew. There's a lot of solos on there that are Eric and Joey on that first yeah. and second record, but the obviously there's some magical ones by right. And there's some people who said right, but I'm saying those guys really. I do give them credit. They came back and owned it into their thing. So so great for them. But what I'm saying is like a person like Jamie, it makes sense that he'd be like, hey, I have a hometown guy that I, I, I you know I want with me. No, no yeah. nothing to anybody. Well, and that so was it makes sense thing. as a realigning the guards. He would want to kind of pull in maybe okay. something different. Another unknown management. Abby Steinman, he had said it was between me and Dave Marshall. They, uh, Eric and Jerry wanted Dave Marshall. And Janie and Abby Steinman wanted me. And it came down to me because um, they needed a guy that Janie could relate to. Everyone else was L.A. And he was Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Indians, Ohio State Buckeyes, Cleveland. Ohio, Midwest, they needed a guy that he could relate to. And they knew that I was, you know, relatively sober and straight. I don't do drugs. Yeah. Am I going to have a, a, a beer or two after the show? Am I going to yeah, have a, yeah, a little yeah. something before we got? Yeah. yeah. But I, I totally controlled it. And I kept him sober and straight for the majority of my time in the band. Towards the end, um, sadly, he didn't fall off the wagon. We described it as he dove off the wagon, jumped off the wagon. And, and, and I, I don't want to say I gave up, but I just, he said to me, he's like, dude, because I got a disease, man. I got the gene. I'm an alcoholic. I, I can't help it. So we did our best. We did our best. And then, you know, he quit warrant after I was in the band for five years, he quit. And I remember it was 2005 new year's day. 
we played New York on New Year's Eve and he quit the band and I had to make the decision. Do I stay with Warren or do I stay with Janie Lane? He had moved back to Ohio. We were writing songs together in my studio together and I made the right decision. I stayed with Janie Lane. Those guys were not happy with that. And they really haven't really been, you know, we, we didn't remain in touch when I see the guys. Hey man, how are you? Da, 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 da. Um, but they weren't happy at the time, but looking back and seeing how history played out, I made the right decision because right after Janie quit, well, then Steven and Joey was like, well, I can get back in the band now because I don't have to put up with Janie's, you know, drunkenness and stuff. Right. So they were going to get Joey and Steven back anyways. And I watched the videos and I've seen them on the Monsters Rock Cruise because I played it with Tough and they're kicking ass. And Robert yeah. Mason is the most amazing singer ever. I, I've loved him and everything that he's always done. So yeah. for him to get that gig in Warren was was a good thing. It fits they fit now. They fit, it fits the, that lineup of guys. It's not the classic Van Halen or classic lineups, whatever. I'm the kind of guy, I just enjoy whatever makes the album. But if it's classic Warren sound worked, whatever. But the point is, this version of Warren right now, that five guys work really well and sound good together as a band. Yeah, yeah. So and it's just different. It's they're just older, different. more experienced. They know, yeah. they know how to go and do it the right way. And they are doing it the right way. I think it's a bonus stance there's, that there's that, and then there's you doing your Janie Lane tribute and your Warren tribute because it just keeps it out there. I mean, sadly, what, what happened in Janie is it's awful, and I think it's good to have more positive stuff out there because you don't want that being the last thought of him. You want to remember him for all the goodness and happiness he brought out there. So by you celebrating the music, it keeps it out there. Yeah, you know, much takes- more happiness, much more good things than than the bad things. Um, he, you know, he uh, he put a stamp on that '80s style. Fun, kick ass party rock and roll. He told me he's like, a look, good songwriter, like, good pop songwriter. That's hard to be as a good pop, pop songwriter. Yeah. He told me he's like, look, this is a party. We're hosting a party. I'm the host of the party. We have to have everybody have a good time. And that was kind of his mantra. Even though he moved into machine gun and and doggy dog and a little more heavy glam Alice in Chains thing, the the, the shows were always Warren shows. He was still yeah. the same front man. It never really changed. But his songwriting, even when he switched up to different types of genres, when he tried to do it, Machine Gun was really good. And even the last couple albums, I really liked when he was doing different types of, the music was a little bit different, undertone, like under the belly. You know, that stuff is like, I liked it too. It's very interesting. Like, it felt like as a songwriter, he was stretching and not trying to copy something. I felt like he was like, all right, let me roll my sleeves and express myself, which is kind of cool to me. Because some artists were just kind of trying to copy a genre. You know what I mean? It just wasn't right. Him just being a songwriter, it was, the songs were a lot more interesting to me. It wasn't the same warrant, but they were they were I, you know, I still got the CDs because they were different. Yeah, you know, and you had to kind of kind of go with the times. Although maybe it was that a mistake? Because look at the success Poison had. Poison wrote Talk Dirty to Me and Nothing But a Good Time. And when they re- release a new song, they don't veer far from Talk Dirty to Me and Nothing But a Good Time because they're party. They're a party band. Well, they but they did do they had a couple of guitar shakeups. They, they did. did. Dude, they had Power of the People, they had an EP, they did do a couple covers. I think they had their own internal stuff going on too. And I think taking a break was probably one of the best things yeah. any band from that genre did. I think it worked out well for them. Because they, but they, even their other stuff, they did keep to that sound. I think uh, I was at Stan, and that album, the Bluesier album with, with Kotzen, was probably the most different album they did out of everything. And then after Kotzen left, and they had uh, uh, Blues come in and everyone else, and then CC, I think then it went back more to the party rock. That other one though seemed like it was more of their serious rock album. Absolutely, yeah, I love that. I love that Richie Kotzen album. But that's Richie Kotzen though. He's just he's such a good guitar player. He just Dude. fifty for fifty. That last album, Dude. 50, 50 songs for fifty, whatever. He's a maniac. Yeah, he's a yeah, he's a maniac. There's so many good guitar players out there though, and and that's what I like about technology nowadays is, uh, you know, you can go on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole and and be like finding all these great bands, and then all of a sudden on Instagram like. Oh my God, that kid is amazing, and he's just a kid in his bedroom playing guitar. So there's, there's, there's the, those guys are out there. You can find them. I wonder though, and this is not being an old person, like it's like, what would have happened? Like the creativity, because you have picked up the Ramones and Hanoi Rocks and all that kind of stuff, and it has carried over. But nowadays, there's nothing. Everything's a, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. So much now, like. Where's the original thing going to come out that's going to break free and be original for a while before it gets copied? Because yeah. you look at everything now. Like even if somebody makes a joke on Instagram or some kind of whatever, I try to stay away. But like five other people are doing it. And like everyone's doing that same thing. Like 
anything original is going to come out is going to get copied so fast. Like, what artist is going to be original for a little bit? And, and, and what fan is going to accept something different? Because there are so many fans that are, I don't want to call it stuck in the 80s, but I am. I like that style of music. I like Warren Martini. I like George Lynch. I like Randy Rhodes. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to be told by the media, well, you know what? That's old. You need to like this now. No, I like, I listen to everything. I hear it. Hey, Nirvana, I appreciate it, but I don't like it. I like Warren Martini. Um, oh, Soundgarden. Oh, kind of cool. I don't like it. I like, you know, Quiet Riot. I like Poison. Yep. And, and I don't know. It's just like, I, I just think that you should like what you like and not have the media tell you, this is what's hot now. Now you need to cut your hair. and But now you need to go this. And now you got to be angry. Now you got to be fucking pissed off. You know, it's like, I've always been true to my liking. I like guitar oriented, rock and roll, nice message, good, happy, uplifting message. You know, a sad ballad's good. An angry yeah. song is good here and there. But I, I've always stuck to what I like. So when you hear some of my original music in the future, which I'll be releasing, you know, you can go on YouTube and listen to my stuff right now. Billy Morris and the Sunset Strip. That was my last record, CD, yeah. record. When you say record, does that tell everybody, oh, that guy's old? <laughs> That's how I say it. I call everything a record. I call everything Everything's a record. Yeah. To me, if it's a, a record to me is a full collection of songs that have been thought about, how they're produced. You do a good job on the drums in production. <laughs> you make sure everything's mixed well. You make sure the song list works well in order. It has to be a proper order for the songs. Yep. The packaging, the artwork, to me, that's a record. That's it's a record. vinyl. A record to me is the full product of a band, a collaboration of songs and all the artistry. It's a complete package. Yep. That's what I mean yeah. when I say record. And I My think it's a carryover from the 80s, you know, and 70s. Well, dude, when you bought that album, you know, you put yeah. the turntable, put on the turntable and you opened up the, or you read the credits and everything and you you. Every time you listen to that record, you look at that liner and, and it was part of it. Well, I'm going to tell you, like, one of the things I said with this, this group, with this, even the show and the artwork I started doing on the background and stuff, to me, I look at it as like it's a record album. Because you look at it, you have like the Almond Brothers or something, or like one of these bands on the road, these live albums back then, you'd open up the double thing. I got tons of albums like, around me. You open it up, you see all the live shots and the things and the cigarettes and like all the, the spread out. Yeah. And you know what? My image favorite of being one, a tour. And that's my favorite me, like, one. Cool. My favorite one, Foghat Live. Okay, I get that one. Yeah, that is I think one. you actually slid the album when it slid in. It had the four guys, but when you pulled it out, it was a it was like a menagerie of photos. And you're right, the 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 cheeseburger with the bite out of it, the cigarette and the ashtrays, the empty beer bottles, the, the lyrics, like, yeah, the yeah, the shots. Somebody's like in their underwear, scratching head with a drumstick or something crazy, like just the weirdest stuff. Especially back then, you're like, and to me, you felt like it was they were snapshots, but literally snapshots of being on the road. It gave you a, a a a flavor of something special that you didn't get to see, and it put you in a mood. You know, it set the it was the candles and set the atmosphere for the yeah, album. Absolutely, that's, you know, and that, I think cassettes and records to be killed it because I couldn't I couldn't read. I always had glasses, but they, it's so small and you couldn't see the artwork. And they got to the point now where even if I there's other bands I like and a new album comes out, I'm like I'll promote it. I like the album. I'm like the label's got to send me the, the uh, all the other stuff. I'm like because I got to read the lyrics. I got to look at it. I can't even tell who writes songs at the time off of streaming platforms because the credits aren't even right. The the album artwork is not even right. So you don't even know what the artists are doing anymore. Right, right. And and the, the good thing about listening to that older music, it takes you back to a time when you were happy or a good time in your life with a good memory. And Probably like 14 I, to 24 I, is usually what the age burn in print, I think is a number for people celebrating their music, I think. I agree. I agree. And like lately, I've been listening to a lot of Warrant Song warrant the first two warrant records because we're practicing that stuff mm -hmm. for a tribute that I got coming up in Cincinnati. And uh I just love listening to it. Sounds great, songs are great, produced well, sounds good in my car. I know the lyrics, I can sing along with it. I'm always gonna be a rock fan. I'm always gonna you be you a heard those right though. I, I know where I heard Warren's first album. I didn't think it exactly. I was just going to school for recording. There's a handful of albums that were special to me at the time because I was going to production. So listen to that album and I was is Atlanta? I can tell exactly what I was doing when I first heard the album. Like I can tell, there's probably a bunch of albums like that. That that time period for you, that's your time, that's your experience. You're growing, you're this and that. A lot of people don't continue listening to music after college generally, or after college years, starting their first couple jobs. They're not listening. They're like, oh, that band does this. Oh, that band is still around. Oh, there must be a millionaire. They had one song out 50 years ago. Like, yeah. At this point, this is where like you know they they listen to podcasts and it's like music nerds, musicians or 
bands of music or people in the music industry and radio stuff and stuff continued on knowing it, but everyone else kind of stopped right there. And then it becomes more like just a TV show, you know, to be like, it's not the same, the following. I learn a lot from my wife too, because we are so polar opposite when it comes to music and music history. When I first met her, I sat next to her on an airplane and, um, I'm in the band Warrant. And she's like, who's that? I'm like, oh, God, this girl's too young. But we ended up meeting each other. And <laughs> and I said, you know, heaven isn't too far. Oh, that's on my Monster Ballad CD. So a lot of people <laughs> know all of these bands from right. the Monster Ballad CD. Like when I take her on the Monster Rock Cruise, Firehouse. Finally found the love. Yep. Oh, I like this song. Has no clue who Firehouse is. She just likes the song. I think it, it would happen somewhere along the line. Not only did it go from not being commercial viability and this is happens every 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 10 years every type of music pretty much except i think grunge didn't last 10 years i think um but like 70s rock bled into 80s rock and up celebration rock and then early 90s is is it becomes almost like a parody unfortunately it not only does it say we're not going to be you're not going to be commercial anymore we're just going to make you a, a joke on top of it and that's where you get the stigma you know disco it has like and i love i love the bgs one of the best songwriters in the world you know Mary Gibb. i mean but disco is a joke to a lot of people so i mean you can talk about each generation so like monster ballads became like a big freedom rock thing or hair metal i don't care what you call it i like a good song and i am i have no guilty music i have nothing i'm guilty about listening to but the stigma hurt the artists and i think only now with the cruises and stuff and these festivals are people coming back out in the past maybe two years before and then now again is the revival of it doesn't it all, yeah, outside it all comes full circle uh, right. My buddies locally are in a band called Disco Inferno, biggest cover band in town. And you go see them, and you're like, "This music's good. Some good this songs, right? Good stuff. All the songs are good. They they bring it. They uh, the girl, everyone's dancing. There's a big crowd. It's fun. They wear the afros, you know. And um, so that went full, full circle. And now you think, and maybe '80s rock is kind of coming full circle. I think so. I Panther and, and and there's well, a huge, it, you know, there's a you're huge. Coming from Europe, like in Sweden and Finland, out there, that, that it's a big, a crazy licks. I like that band. You ever heard that yeah. band? I like crazy licks. They my have their own thing going on out there. Is what they it's do. doing. A, my favorite yeah. band on all those Sweden, Finland is a band called Eclipse. Have you heard of them? Yep. Yeah. Uh, we are actually, you know, because currently I play guitar for Tough. Great right singer, now. great singer, great singer. Great singer, great songwriter. We actually did the uh, Glam Fest Australia last year, this year in the in the spring and eclipse was on it and they were already my favorite band like so to be able to tour with those guys i was a fan i was a fan sat next to them on the bus we went and ate some gyros together we exchanged emails i sent them some songs and now we're friends that's the other thing i noticed like so like there's a band called tragedy just like all heavy metal but funny like i like still can't they actually towards where they do like disco and metal and it really makes you listen to the songs you get a chance to check them out called tragedy I've seen them the live, but they do like metal and whatever. So it's another way of celebrating the songs. And what I've learned is a lot of musicians and it's rock musicians and our, our age group, and from, I even say from like late forties up until whenever are also fans of music as much as fans are fans of music. And that's the one difference I do see on the show that other genres of music more than anything else is artists like you getting just as excited as other, other people say, Oh my God, Billy, you were, you were so-and-so band. Like you getting excited about that. Like, Sometimes in other art, I'm not going to say the genres I talk to, but they're not, their excitement is not the same. Like almost they also stopped. They're like, I only like this band at this point. I don't want to hear any new music. They're just as bad. They almost hurt themselves. They're like, we have a new album out, but no one wants to listen to it. But I also don't want to listen to new music. So they kind of are stuck. Whereas rock fans and rock musicians just kind of keep liking it. You know what I mean? Keep liking it's, it. It's, it's kind of cool. You know? Yeah. It's like when you discover that new song, you just can't stop listening to it. I still you like know, it, you know? I was excited. I talked to George Lynch two weeks ago and just had him totally just bust on me and give me the George Lynch sense of humor. It was great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I had George. I, I, own a, I own a club in Cleveland called the Hi-Fi Club. George Lynch played there. And uh, after the show, here he comes down all muscled up. Give me my 2,500 bucks. I'm like, <laughs> here's your 2,500 bucks. <laughs> he could be a funny guy. He was giving me a hard time. He was making up things like I was a make-believe manager. And he had some other things. He was saying things that I said I didn't say, but that I said that would be controversial. He was just like you said before. He'd say it just to give me a hard time to have fun because you do so many interviews. You know what I mean? I yeah. just totally went with it. I totally went with it. It was so much fun because, but you don't always get that. You, you don't 
you know, I mean, there's a thing where like, it's exciting to talk about you clearly have great memories. You enjoy sharing them. And it's fun. You're still celebrating I like talking music. about the memories because the more I talk, the more fun. I think of things, the more I think of memories that I hadn't thought in a long time. But it's good. It's not, I don't think, I guess the point is, I don't think it's like almost like, like living the past or a, I hate to stigma that. I just think it's really good time period for music. And I think it's great to be able to, reach back and i think some people don't can't reach back and be happy you know what's going on it allows them to be happy at a moment in their life so it lets them take some out of their own head and lets them be happy yeah how can you take that away from anybody so what you're saying like 80s rock and whatever you want to call it here metal glib whatever you want to call it could you call it thrash whatever it is and it makes them happy don't put a label on it and, and, and make it a stigma right i'd say someone's happy i love guitar solos i mean that was the only sad part about the 90s for me i mean i like some of the bands but not not like a lot and guitar solos is what crushed me. That's what got me, you know? Well, yeah, it's like, I remember Foo Fighters, just like their first couple of records, they had no solos. And they and they actually, I don't know if they laughed about it, but they're like, yeah, we have no solos. A lot of the bands went no solos. They, I think they were, they were one of the few bands that kind of kept their toe in rock, though. Thankfully. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when the first record came out, I remember being on the road with uh, the Nirvana tribute band, and we were blowing yep. that Foo Fighters album up. We actually did a Foo Fighters song. This is but a it kind of kept, yeah, but it kind of kept that big arena rock sound, but it also allowed them to be in both spots. And that's what I think a lot of bands could have done and kept going. You know what I mean? They didn't get locked into something. That's why they're still around now. They're not, they weren't that's a great right, band. Because they're a rock band. Right. And that's the whole point, you know. You know, and, and I think it's important. So you're also doing, how, how often are you playing out with your, your other band, though, The Sunset Strip? Uh, I play out, um, so Billy Morse and The Sunset Strip, we play 80s rock locally, and uh, I got a handful of clubs that I just play, make a lot of money. Um, we play just Friday and Saturdays. Um, I'm really busy with my uh, businesses at home. I have a recording studio, uh, a food truck, and three little boys, 11, 10, and 6. And uh, I coach football. Uh, we go dirt bike racing on Sundays. We go dirt bike riding during the week. I got to cut the lawn. I got to cook three square meals a day for my family because my wife doesn't cook. But don't get me wrong. she uh, <laughs> That's her beeping in right now, too. Um, she can feel it. She can feel it. <laughs> she can feel it. Can you still see me normally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, no, no change. Her yeah, call yeah. is coming in. And, yeah. But um, So I only play out on the weekends. But we do the first set. We do like 80s pop, like Eddie Money, Rick Springfield um lover boy bob seeger uh brian adams that's the first set and i say everybody right, we're gonna be right back to the hair metal stuff with uh poison warrant def leopard bon jovi molly crew justin bieber and then people laugh about that <laughs> i do a little justin bieber metal style but um but then you know uh you know it's just a it draws a crowd we ring the register we make good money it's steady um but I can only only really play out Friday and Saturday. I don't only really want to play out Friday and Saturday because when you're working that much during the week and be like, ah, oh, it's, it's Wednesday night. I got to go sing Rick Springfield again. It's not against Rick Springfield. It's just like, no, I'm tired, man. I, I, I've been working all day. I got kids. I got food trucks. I got studios. I got lawns. I got practices. I got to drive this kid to soccer practice. This is swimming practice. <laughs> I got to coach this football. Oh, I got to now put the kids to bed, get in the garage, work on the dirt bikes. It's like, I get by in five or six hours sleep. I hear you. I, I, and I always say, like, I could imagine, especially at this point in my life, I mean, I, I, like, if an artist comes to your town, it's it's tight for them to begin with. Like, I could imagine getting up now and doing anything. I don't want to have time to go to work, and it's not a hard job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I could imagine at the end of my night going on, having a rough day, and then, okay, I'm going to entertain you guys now for your money. Okay, yeah, I'm going to get good. I'm gonna get in this box truck and set the sound system up, and here we yeah. go. Oh, I did. Yeah, it's crazy. About five years ago, during the summer, I played fourteen shows in twelve days, doubles on like a weekend, and then every single day. And there's like in Cleveland, there's uh, some islands out there called Putin Bay and Kelly's Island. You take a ferry out there, you play at the islands, you play clubs, you play bike bike nights out in parking lots. There's a lot yeah. of gigs to play, but uh, at this point. You know, uh, the food trucks, which I'd like to talk about, it's called Smoke and Rock yeah. and Roll. My partner is Todd Chason. Um, he actually really runs the food truck business. Um, he runs the day-to-day. -day. He hires and fires and orders the food and da-da-da-da. 
I kind of help drive in a little bit. I kind of am the face of it. I go out and play the national anthem for certain events. They hire me to play the national anthem. And uh, the food truck is really successful, really good. We have two trucks and an ice cream trailer, trailer smoker. Um, wow. And we're a little in right now. We're in a little bit of a uh, downtime because obviously we parked the trucks in November because it starts snowing. But we're in a building right now, which I'm in the lobby of the building right now. But we bought the building on the other side of the parking lot and we're going to be moving our operations to a new building. So we're going to be down for four months while we build out this brand new spick and span retail, you know, to go orders and truck orders out the back. And uh, that's a full time, double time job. I could not do it without Todd. Todd, you know, has passion for it. And so good for me and Todd is that, you know, tough made a little bit of a resurgence. So We, um, and Todd is also every, a tough. If people aren't paying attention, it's Todd from Tough. So the people Todd aren't aware. founded Tough. Todd right, Chase. But I'm saying about everyone. Not totally aware. Not everyone's totally aware. Yeah, but this uh, game is aware so of all of players. I have been friends with Stevie Rochelle for years, um, and then Todd. I never met Todd. Todd decided to move to Ohio with his wife, and um, about ten years ago, Tough put out a uh, a re-release of all their music. And Stevie called me like, hey, uh, Todd Chason lives near you in Cleveland. Could you record the bass tracks for this re-release? I'm like, sure. So me and Todd got together playing bass in my studio. And we just start talking. I'm like, hey, I got this nightclub, the Hi-Fi Club. I'm going to sell it. I want to build a food truck. He's like, dude, I want to I want to run a food truck. I'm like, all right, man, here it is. I'm going to sell this club. I'll build it. You run it. And he took it from a trailer smoker. Then I built the food truck and then I built the ice cream truck and we, and then we built a fourth vehicle, the macaroni and cheese truck. He, he turned it into my envision was exactly what the name is. Smoke and rock and roll. First I smoke for you. Then I rock and roll for you. I just wanted a party service for my band to play right. like millionaires row in Cleveland on the lake. Yeah. But he built it into a two trucks Business. going out every single day, multiple employees, you know, corporate jobs. And he's really, done a really good job doing that and you guys survived covid because you guys were out before covid in fact you guys have doubled i knew you had one truck so say you have two trucks yeah. just past what happened in covid that's pretty good well covid helped us and what had happened I was i helped in covid though i'm gonna tell you right now if you weren't paying attention <laughs> it, well um all the restaurants closed so we yeah. took the truck put it in our parking lot and opened up it was so funny we had we had the six foot lines in the parking lot spray paint in the parking lot where you had to stand and yeah all the all the signs we had them on mic stands you know you must wear a mask and you know dying away from everybody and all these things and uh but our you know we got to make a lot of money because people had nowhere to go and people would just walk around from the neighborhood and we had long lines six days a week but wow. since covid ended and all the restaurants reopened the parking lot business died down. We just, we did it one night a week where we did ribs and wings and try to put some bands in the parking lot. But now we're going to move over there to the other building and we're probably not going to do that because we're concentrating on to-go orders and DoorDash and Uber Eats and food trucking out the back and our own building and our own parking lot and our own roof to maintain and our own parking lot to repave. Oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> you know, Sounds like a lot. It sounds crazy. It is pretty crazy. So uh, this year, uh, we we go on the Monster Rock Cruise almost every other year. So this year, we are on the Monsters Rock Cruise. Tough with Stevie Rochelle, Todd Chase on. And um, it allows us to uh, keep our rock star dreams alive every six months. We go out and do something with Tough. Well, it's funny to say rock star. Rock star is such a funny tongue-in-cheek cord. I don't think people like you and other people can use it that actually really get their fingernails dirty. Because you get something. Actually, Steve is a good example. He's a man besides igniting half the world with with, with metal sludge. Business wise, he's got a hustle on him, like nobody's oh, business. He hustles every. He does post ups every day. I, I agree. My, my point is, he's got his hands at everything. He's always working. Always. That working. being said, th- and, and to be doing stuff nowadays, and to be doing that, that's who you have to be. Like, so that's my point is to, to be a to go out there and have fun, rock star time. He's gonna be a hard. You have to be a hardworking musician and businessman to have time to be a true rock star. You know, you ha- you, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you don't just get that. You can't be like I've had people talk to me like they're they're rock stars. And you're like, Here's my music. You check me out. I'm great. I'm like you're not a rock star. You have no idea to put the time in. You have no idea. 
Right. <laughs> well, and, and like all the, at that level. All the bands, like, you know, you name any of them, Bullet Boys, Firehouse, uh, Chips Enough, they got to go out and work. They got to go out and work. They like have studio, to support right? their cams. They have to go out and work. Producing and he's working too when he's not on the road. Yeah. He's always got going on, you know. So, um, and then luckily, um, I have a very successful family and my wife is very successful. She owns a swim school and uh, multiple locations for the swim school. So I happily. That's where the swim correct. photos come online, right? This, it's some really cool swim uh, guitar photos there. Yeah. Do you see me underwater? Those are awesome. Yeah. So, what a great concept. She, she, uh, so her, her swim school is called Liquid Lifestyles and she's got these container pools where they're shipping containers, custom built in the sw swimming pools, but the sides are cut off with, a cutout with uh, glass windows. And she's like, hey, we're going to do an underwater photo shoot. I want you to do something with the guitar down there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to grab this crappy guitar. No, no, you need to use that that white one, my Randy Rhodes Jackson. I'm like, oh, what's it going to hurt? I go underwater a little bit. It'll, it'll dry out. Oh, my Lord. It must have been water-based paint from Jackson. It is a the part all of the of, All of the paint split. All of the paint split. And basically, the guitar was ruined, but it was for her. I was going to hang it on her wall, but then I'm like, you know, I'm going to sand this down and repaint it. And so I started sanding it down, and I realized that I didn't know it was the paint, but I realized it was like some sort of water-based paint. So a buddy of mine, Sammy T, refinished his furniture. He took this guitar, and he sanded it down to wood. He painted pearl white. You know the the Randy Rhodes with the uh, the, the yeah. cream one with the with the white. Well, you saw the photo, yeah. yeah. He did a pearl white with painted pinstripes. We got the Jackson logo. He cleared over it, made it shine like a diamond, and now it's hanging on my wall. I got to get it put back together, but but it, the guitar is brought back to life. It's going to be okay. Good. I see that. I, I saw that underwater, and I was like, oh, all right. I just saw somebody in a band do like a guitar on fire. I'm like, I go when I talk to him for the distance, you see what it is, and I talk to me, and the interview, I'm like, I'm like, all right, tell me. It was, it was like a, a really junky guitar you got. You painted it good from the distance, right? I don't even like seeing guitars in the videos, like like a beach, you know, all the salt and sand on the beach. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh. No. I know. I know. I was I was pretty pretty much uh, kind of cringy. Bummed out, yeah. But she, you know, she was like, you need to play that guitar. I'm like, oh, really, that guitar? But there's a sound. There's so many sound. I know, but it's a certain sound that a guitar has, a, you know, you can't change it. You have the same guitar, 40 of them. I've got the guitar. Way. I've got the Strat that I bought for the Nirvana thing, which was... 30 some years ago i still have that guitar I, I believe and you're a guitar player too that you kind of play some of the soul into the guitar over the years and my i still got guitar, guitar. Is 80 is, is 80 bucks used i bought from somebody first of all, i think they're selling it for drugs i could buy this really sketchy thing i, I got the guitar from him and he gave it to me a plastic garbage bag and i had to hold it up and look at the neck and stuff i'm like all right it's like a japanese guitar from like 82 it's a aria pro two aria it's pro like, yeah and it's like it's like the best 80 bucks for it. You know, one of the best yeah. guitars. The red exactly. looking it's, guitar. It's the best. I've got some, you know, those imitation Les Pauls, right? The giant chips yeah. in. I've it's got a chips in that. I was doing a, a, a photo shoot with a a guy. He was a Gibson photographer, but he was shooting my band, and I used that guitar. He had a Gibson shirt on. I was like, dude, that's a sweet Les Paul. I'm like, it is, isn't it? I never said anything. $300. <laughs> That's some great. That's a hard. You know, some of those are so good looking though. You can really hard to tell a difference unless you really know what you're doing. You know? Yeah, that's a good thing about it. But it is a cheap one. Is good and the sound is good. So you're talking about a studio also, and you're so I have a studio. Also. Yeah, I have, I have a studio which which coexists with Smoke and Rock and Roll. It's called Audio Bay. We're located in Bay Village, so I came up with the name Audio Bay, and. It's a, it's a recording studio. It's a video podcast studio. I've done spoken word books. We've got a green screen. We've got live room for bands to either do sh live shows coinciding with smoke and rock and roll or live recordings. Um, but we're moving that all over to the new building and we're re rebuilding that studio. But it's called Audio Bay, audiobaystudios.com, I believe. We're audio, all the stuff, Audio Bay or smoke and rock and roll on Facebook. You can check all that okay. stuff out. Um, I, I, yeah, I produce local I produce local bands. I, I have some outside engineers that use the studio. Um, my favorite thing is somebody will contact me. Hey, can you lay down a guitar solo? I'm like, yeah, sure. So they'll send me a two track. I'll rip a couple souls for them. To send. I usually yeah. do that on my laptop in my bedroom while my wife's sleeping with headphones. But, you know, it's fun to do. It's a crazy that you can do it now, though, right? Like I have so many little so many apps things for my guitars. I don't even plug in my amps anymore, like half the time. 
I got, I got like a little cute. I got a tiny mini orange I can use now, or I got like, you know, I got a Vox behind me. I got, I don't even plug it in because I have so many little adapters now. I can just play in my room quietly. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what, I, and yeah. that's what. Uh, learning some new warrant songs for this, uh, Janie Lane tribute. You know, I plug right into the uh, the, like a Personas like, I don't know what it's called, audio box with a with one fader on it. it goes into my laptop and the Personas program with the uh, amp amp simulator it's good enough to to practice with and it's good good enough there's a lot of good stuff out there i mean it's totally changed and, and that's why i started playing guitar later in life is finally i had some really bad guitars starting out in life it was horrible it was an awful experience i'm like i'll never get this and then like later on in life with like youtube and like different guitars got different and i became you know i could afford a better guitar not a, not a masterpiece but just something that had better better setup it made the world easier you know so now it's easier oh, yeah. most people stop playing now it's a little bit easier you know until you see the videos of the kids that can just shred at eight years old. And I'm like, I just want to throw my guitar. Eight years old. Window. I know. Oh, I know. I want to throw around the driveway and just drive over my guitar a few times. If I didn't respect it so much, I'd be like, ah, oh. I'm still, <laughs> I'm like, I'm still drawing, barring, barring certain notes. You're like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I've had some nice guitars over my life. I had a bunch of GMP guitars that they gave me when I was in Warrant. You remember the GMP brand? Yeah. GMP. Uh, that's what the guys in Warrant play right now. Um, unfortunately, and I had a bunch of Hill guitars, a local builder named John Hill were beautiful. But when I had my nightclub, I got a little bit of a, a legal battle with the former partner. I had to sell a lot of stuff to get through all that yeah. BS. And I did. And I, God, you know how I, I love my guitars. It, it broke my heart to sell some of those guitars, but I needed the quick cash yeah. for lawyers and BS, you know, and it is what it is. There are a few guitars I would not sell. My prized possession is my 1988 purple jackson soloist made in usa back when jackson was usa san demas was twenty four hundred dollars from lentines music in akron six months same as cash i paid all the payments never missed a payment i still have that guitar to this day look that's a lot of money back then though for guitar too yeah that's a lot back then that was a ton of money but you know Especially like, for starting out for not being in like like aerosmith or something at the time like to like being a working band yeah. $100 for, for a working band is trying to oh. do something. It's like a million well, I was living at, I'm living at home, playing full-time. I could I could pay 350 bucks a month. It was no big deal. And I made sure I made all those payments. I still have that guitar. So I've got a lot of guitars. But, you know, you got to find time to play them around well, that's working. A, that's the thing. That's the thing. So actually, so out of all these things going on, and like the links will be beneath it, the last thing we're talking about now is original music. You got some stuff you're working yeah, on. Yeah. Um, that's uh i i'm always writing new songs i've got like a bunch of songs i've got a folder on my lap called called next project they're basically demoed and done i've got my latest single that's about to be released and it's just not it's it's finished but it's not released yet it's a song called wasted and when i play it for people when we play it live people are singing it like an anthem by the end of the song um i played it for somebody a former record label guy, he goes, dude, this is the new closing time. You know how closing time was like the yeah. last song I already played? This will be up there. I feel it's a much better song than closing time, but um, I'll send it to you right away. I'll send it to yeah. you right away. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Called We're All Here Getting Wasted, Hammered, Plastered, Wasted, Sedated. You know, we're all here getting wasted. It's a great. I sent it to Steve Brown from Trickster, uh, you know, yeah. Trickster, Steve Brown. And, uh, I sent it to him because we send stuff back and forth. He's like, he got it. And the, the next text message is like, Trips Enough would be proud. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a good compliment, you know, beatily. She, she would um, say, hey, brother, hey, brother, good job. I didn't send it to Chip because he'd be like, don't tell me, Chip would do that. Yeah, Chip would do that. Hey, brother. brother. Yeah. No, it's my story. I've talked to him. I said, hey, brother, hey, brother. But Steve's a good producer too. You know, oh man, absolutely. I've seen Steve on a few times, and we've talked. And I tell you, man, I was giving him a hard time because he's doing like one song a year he's releasing. I go, I will be in the old folks' home by the time you have a collection of an album. Yeah, he's like, I'm doing one song hit, and he's like focusing on that one song a year. I'm like, well, you know, I think that's the formula for a lot of bands. You just release a new song every six to eight weeks, and then you're the new on the new release charts, and right. In his defense, also he's doing the the, the trickster thing. Instead of Eric Mark, he's doing the you know he's a million different bands. He's the on call guy for Def Leppard. Yeah. He's, well, here's a good production story with Ace Frehley. He just did the production with Ace Frehley. That song looks sounds good. So Trickster and I 
Steve and PJ, the whole band, we go back to about, I don't know, maybe 86, 87. My band, Spoiled, was going to New York City to showcase the Cat Club. And we pulled up at the Cat Club. Remember the Cat Club? Yep. And another van pulled up, Trickster. So we both played together. We met each other like right out of high school. So we, and then, you know, being a warrant, um, whenever I'd come through town, we'd all go out and hang out. I kind of copped their thing. They were doing this thing called heavy metal karaoke, live band karaoke back in like 2000. And they're going, you got to come see us play heavy metal karaoke. So I went out and I sang with them. I'm like, I love this idea. I'm going to steal this and use it in Cleveland. They were like honored that I stole their idea. And I did heavy metal karaoke at my nightclub throughout the years. And then it kind of faded. And, but, um, Trickster had to do some dates and Steve, no, Pete wasn't going to sing. So they called me and I played with Trickster for a bunch of dates where Steve sang. We actually did another date with Trickster. It was Trickster Lita Ford, where Steve had to go play with Dennis DeYoung uh, from Sticks. Yeah, yeah, because he's also in Sticks also, yeah. Yeah, and they needed a guitar player. So Pete came in and sang and I played the only guitar in Trickster. And let me tell you this really? right now. Some of that, all of that shit is no joke. Steve Brown is like Eddie Van Halen Jr. So to have to learn that stuff is no joke. Yeah, he actually will be friends with Eddie too. I mean, it's funny. I look at Steve's picks. I look at it like it's like a, like a, just a list of picks of all the bands he's been <laughs> of everything he's in. And usually they're working too on top of the production he does, you know? Yeah. He's so for a while there, I was, when Steve had to go fill in for somebody, I'd fill in for Steve or, or Steve would sing for Pete and I'd play with them and, that was, that was a feather in my cap because, like I said, I go back to everybody I played with. I'm a fan. Yeah. Steve and I and PJ, we were both all out of high school together, showcasing our bands together. But I'm a fan. Enough's enough. They were club band in, in Chicago. I was a club band in Cleveland. We crossed path. I'm a fan. So I'm always a rock fan. I, I, I like, you know, being a fan. I like being friends with all these guys, but I've always foundational to be a fan of everybody. I like rock and roll. Well, I think it's fun to be to be a fan and to have friends or acquaintances with, and like this, you know, and sharing the stories. Is it? I think you know, there's a, a, a camaraderie. Uh, like when you meet somebody, like if you don't know them, but you're from the same generation, like if you start talking about anything. We talk, also, you guys are talking about horror films. Like there's a certain clicking of this, and I've noticed it by doing the show. Like it doesn't matter. Where sometimes you can meet a stranger, and you're like I have nothing in common with you, like a family member. Well, like yeah. you need something like you. We could talk like days about music, and, and then this, yeah. then this happened about this. Then the next thing you know, it's about this movie, and then it's like this. It's a generation thing. There's something about the tie of music puts everybody in the same mindset. It locks you in of that generation, you know. Oh Which yeah, was being a rock fan and yeah, and being a fan and being a fan of music, and the people that are considered rock stars are really just musicians that really have fun and want everyone else to have fun, and that's what everything's the rock star. But the rock star part is. What they're really giving you is they want to entertain you with all the fun that they're having. That's the impression I get. It's just so much more than being like, I'm better than you. It's not about that. It's about, thank you, this rocks, and let's have a party. That's to me. Absolutely. But that's what I get, the difference of like, when people go like, how can you talk to you know, so-and-so? They're rocks. I'm like, they are totally, there's no one throwing TVs out windows or doing like the no, Zeppelin Light Shark thing. real people that's like anything. us. No, I mean, they're like, real people you, like you and I. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you have no idea how hard these guys work and the personal things they go through. And they put a big smile on their face and they go up there and they rock and they're not, they're not complaining about it. They don't complain about this, the money. I bring up a lot of the financial things on this show because I want people to go, go to the shows, buy it, support them because they're not going to complain about it. But for them to keep doing it, you need to make their lives easier by doing this part. Cause there's, 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 you know, there's a back story to a lot of this, you know, with a lot of people. Yeah. For an artist to get up on the stage, it's a lot of work. And, you know, people don't think it's not the same. It's not, it's not doing cocaine and, you know, it's like Mariah Carey. I tell you, it was like twelve hundred dollars, or was before COVID for a bus for a day. Like that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money to put in front of a club. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, dude. It, it was like, I don't, yeah, maybe the day of the tour bus is like kind of dying down, unless you're Taylor Swift or Mariah Carey or something. But that's what I'm saying. It's 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 hard. It's really hard. You have to be doing like mid size venues now, and you have to have them locked in. And and nowadays they want the money up front now. A lot of them. I'm so lucky and grateful that I got to live that life for five yeah. years. I had, I had a, I, and then, but you know, you know, I have to know your place in the band because the, uh, the senior partners what Mike Fasano, the drummer of Warrant when I was in it, we called Janie, Eric and Jerry, the senior partners, we were junior partners. So 
you got to know the senior partners get their pick of the middle bus bunks in the bus and the junior partners get the lower bunks and some of the techs and stuff got the higher bunks. But it was funny because we went right on the bus. They, this is my bunk. You're, you're down there. I'm like, yes, sir. Okay. No problem. I'm like, I'm on the bus. There's like 8,000 people that aren't on the bus that play guitar. I'm happy to be on the bus. You, you know, totally. you're like at the front of the line. I'm like, I'll be eight people back. I'll be two rows back from the show. I'm in the front of the show. Yeah, Good. totally. Yeah. And, and I think that's the fun part about it is, yeah, and, you know, it's, there's a hierarchy. You got to appreciate it, but it's not the same. Trust me, the rock hierarchy is way different than like pop artists. It's totally different. You know, totally different. So if you're out there listening to this interview, and you got to the, this far into the interview. I'd like to send everybody just go to YouTube, search Billy Morris and the Sunset Strip party like the weekend never ends. That's my my former hit single. Um, and it's, you know, um, it's produced by a very good friend of mine up in Boston, Mike Woods. You know, Mike Woods. I don't. The band I don't. Damone. Have you ever heard the band Damone? No, I haven't. But he's well, not far from me. He's only a couple hours away. Yeah. So, so uh, Mike Woods produces. I sent him the song, and he kind of really made it. You know, produced well. The song was already written, but "Party Like the Weekend Never Ends." Um, that's my my former hit single. I'm going to send you the song "Wasted." I'll, I'll text message to you on your phone, yeah. and you'll be able to hear it, and that'll be released real soon. Excellent. That's pretty awesome. This is, and then, so I'll send everybody to your Facebook and I think your Instagram. I'm a little slow today. Put all the links. You're going to send me some. You're going to dig them up. People check it out. Check out all of this stuff. If you're in the local area, check out the food. I, I wish I could check out your food area. It's close enough. I'm a big food truck guy. Like literally, yeah. that's like, that's it for me, you know? So, um, uh, not... quick story here is, uh, I'm going to turn this around so you can see yeah. this, but yeah. uh, like, this is our, this is our lobby of our, of our shop. And you see all the awards on the, on the mirror there. All those oh, wow. awards up there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we were in, and this is a little little uh, photo wall of fame of mine. Um, like uh, this one here. See George Lynch. Yeah. Uh, this is a local guy, a very good friend of mine, Paul Sedoti. Do you know who he is? I do not know who that is. No. He's the he's only the lead guitar player for Taylor Swift. Okay. Uh, me and Dimebag. He was in my studio recording. I met Dimebag at, um, I saw him at, the, they are opening for Prong, and oh, wow. then they came back a second time, it was during Cowboys, they came back a second time, and, and then Prong opened for them, they flip-flopped, and um, I was, I was um, they played, he was fantastic, and then that's inside, it was a club in Atlanta, Masquerade, I don't know if you've been there. Masquerade um, played there, yep, yep, yep. All right, so they played the Masquerade, and they opened up, and then to the side of the stage, they, they had just brought in a breathalyzer, and at the time, I was, I was interning for a record label, so I just got into everything, you know free and stuff and, and good because I, I was a starving student so like, everything i get for free was the best so um yeah the dimes next to me were talking or whatever and he's totally like he goes well, just he sees the, the, the breathalyzer and he goes over and he tries it you know puts his money into it does it it like goes like it's like it's like you know like when you go to the circus or something you hit it goes to the top yeah 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 yeah. So yeah. it's like a breathalyzer equivalent of that and he just got off the stage just doing these ripping solos and i can't believe he was standing up seeing the levels he had and you people like he drank people like yeah yeah it's a show i'm like no no, no. i saw him do a show and I saw him get off stage and do a breathalyzer in front of me. And yeah. it was like this. He goes, what? And he goes, you do it. I'm like, dude, I go, I got no money, man. I'm a college student, right? Got to go to music college then. He goes, all right, get some money out. He puts it in there. I did a breathalyzer. I just had a couple of beers. It slowly moves up, right? Yeah. He does it again to the top. He starts laughing. He punches it, breaks the breathalyzer. The machine had just come in like the day before. He smashed the breathalyzer at the club. They never brought it back again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I hey, uh, we'll do another interview, but yeah. uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you uh, the, the Janie Lane, uh, the Vinnie Paul story in Dallas. We'll, we'll leave that for the next time. That'll right? be awesome. That'll be awesome. I, I want to thank you though, because this has been really really fun. It's yeah, had a great time, man. Like like you said, you know, we'd probably be on the phone talk for hours and never cover the same subject, you know. And that's what happens a lot. I have a certain thing where we have certain guests and we just kind of come back and we just kind of continue on this long, you know. I don't even really have, I have nothing in front of me. I have no notes. I just know what I know of you and I have a huge swath of knowledge of music. And that's yeah. really, it's, it's, it's about a conversation and that's how you get better stories that show up. It's not about, on this album, did you do this? And then like, I'm not, I don't need the life story because people have done it and they do a great job. Yeah, well, and I like I, talking I can't to you because it, like I said, it, it, it brings back memories I haven't thought about or stories I haven't thought about in years. 
And you know, you, 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 you're talking, it's a conversation and it's exciting. And then the, and the listener can listen to it. It's almost like voyeuristic where you're like, oh, I, and they want to start talking, but they're in the car or something. It's kind of fun. It's like, you're being part of something. Like you're inviting them in and it's not a interrogation, you know? Yeah. That's what, that makes it kind of fun. But um, very good. great. I want to thank you, man. This has been awesome. Thank you, my friend. We'll do it again soon. And uh, well, hopefully uh, we'll get some new music out to you and we'll be able to talk about that too. <laughs>